Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Let's pray. Music that stirs our imagination. Scripture that calls us to wake up. Silence that grounds us. The presence among us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. First off, I want to thank you, uh, those of you who were able to either fill out a card last week and drop it off, and I just got one this morning, uh, which I won't work into the sermon, uh, or emails. People emailed me questions this past week because I asked people to, uh, to say what your questions are. You see, preaching isn't uh, a one-way, converse, one-way dialogue or an info dump. It's actually what's going on in the community? What are the questions that we bring to this place? And in that conversation, hopefully we touch the sacred chord that resonates with all of us. And so I just needed to know what you're thinking. And please, I invite you to continue to do that because it helps me be sure that I'm on track with where you're at. Some of the questions were questions, and some of them were statements. I'm not going to go through them all, but some of them. Here's an example. Can you do a sermon on lessons from kittens? Those of you who were here last week know that this summer I made the great fatal error that's been the best gift of my life of adopting two kittens. And last week I talked about how these kittens became grace in the middle of the night one night when they ended up on my chest and the two of them purring in my anxiety and gave me a glimpse of grace and they are indeed beautiful gifts of warmth and calm. Well this week my kittens offered me a glimpse of hell. Um, (laughs) Now was it them knocking a plant off on the floor and breaking the 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 shell? Was it them unrolling all the toilet paper in every bathroom in the house? Was it turning my legs into scratching posts? I'll have to say bloody scratching posts. Or was it the kitty poo fight in the litter box? Or perhaps it was the lick marks on the top of the butter dish in the kitchen. Who knows? But I got a glimpse. And so perhaps a sermon someday on the lessons from kittens. There were some very direct questions you posed to me. Things like, we're moving. Can you do a sermon on moving? Or simply a statement, Leonard Cohen, toxic masculinity, hockey Canada, antidote. Or talk about men and the beauty of what they bring to the table that is strong and glorious. Or one asks, we need more. We need more about a broadened sense of social justice and to look at the justice system that has been compromised. Or one said this, the Good Samaritan, let me tell you what I think. And there was a beautiful telling of that story and why it mattered to them, but no question. Some offered a meaningful quote. It's good to cry. You need to get those tears out because if left inside, they turn to rust. Or why do some Christians think we are the only way to heaven and why we feel we are the white religion? Why can't we accept other faith traditions? One person writes these words, why are Christians centered on forgiveness and the indigenous people centered on gratitude? One writes, 
I'm aware that suicide may end the pain for an individual, but it's passed on to those left behind. Or this, I would like a sermon on what do we deserve? Do we deserve what we get? Is it possible that it's not my fault can lead us to it's not my responsibility? I'm a longtime United Church member and I see a lot of things changing in the church and I accept that it's not my fault, but is, is, is it my responsibility? These are the things the people beside you and behind are thinking about as we came together. And I will explore them today and over the future. So often sermons are based on questions that no one is asking. And so I'm trying to think about the questions you've raised that came to me and wondering what's the umbrella that might be over all of these and as I thought about it, I thought about how these themes and questions and statements in some ways had a hint of the sermon I did two weeks ago on the book Anxious People by novelist Fred Bachman. In this book, a beautiful novel that makes you laugh and cry right out loud and bits of wisdom in between, there's an incident in the story where a person who is about to complete suicide leaves a note for the person who they think will blame themselves. But in that very short note in an envelope, these words are there, it wasn't your fault. And those were life-giving words to the woman who remained. And the truth of all of our lives is that we carry the weight so often of the guilt and the shame of something that we did, that we regret, something we can't let go of, and the burden is incredibly heavy. And often, it is unwarranted. So often we wonder, it isn't my fault, does that mean there is no responsibility in our living? Last week I saw the movie Where Crawdags Sing. Have you seen that movie? You gotta go. Or read the book, Where Crawdags Sing. When I was sitting in the theater watching this movie about this young woman in a relationship with a young man, the young man says to him that He's worried about her, and she says, why? And he says, when I was a young child, and it was my birthday, my mother and my sister got in a car, and they went to the next town to buy me a gift. But there was a car accident along the way, and the car went off the road, and both of them were killed. And she says to him very clearly, it wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. I couldn't believe that these words from that sermon and that book were also in the movie that week. It's not your fault. But the truth of it is, we have a hard time believing that for ourselves. We're okay to say it in a sermon, we're okay to say it to someone else, but it's hard for us to own that very sense that it's not our fault. Because a lot of times, shift happens in your life that is just not your fault. But also it leads to what people have raised in the questions you gave me this week. Wondering, well, if it's not my fault, do we have any responsibility? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with our life? I don't know about you, but I have a tough time with that sometimes. What are you supposed to do? When so often in our life we're, we're trying what we're failing or we feel like we're helpless to do something. That's why I love when I get to my cottage in the summer doing a very simple task called chopping wood. You take the wood, you chop the wood, you pile the wood, and then you go, I did something. 
Or sometimes it's simple as, I love painting my walls, not yours. I love painting my walls. I love painting my wall and stepping back and going, I did this. Or that's why a few months ago, for whatever reason, I had to strip a wooden table because at the end of the week, I knew I did something. So often in our life, it feels like we don't accomplish anything, we don't do anything, and we need little things to remind us that these little things perhaps speak therapeutically of a bigger way we are engaged in changing the world. Lots of times we feel like we're not doing anything, but this question and the questions that came this week wondered, what is our responsibility as people of faith? What is our job really? Well, the fact and truth is, it's not just an individual thing. Our faith isn't just me and God. It is, it's my salvation isn't me and my salvation. It is a communal event. All of what we do in the Christian tradition is together as community. That's why Jesus wasn't the Buddha by himself. He gathered immediately a community, disciples, who, men and women who worked with him in that community to bring forth transformation. We don't do it alone. Fred Beekner said last week in the sermon, your vocation, each one of you and me, our vocation is where your deepest joy and where the world's greatest hunger meet. That's what we're supposed to do. Where the things that give you the deepest joy meet the world's greatest hunger, that is our vocation. It's a both and mine and the world's need. And the pondering of all of that is what we're called into. Where is your deepest joy meet the world's greatest hunger? In answering this question, I think Richard Rohr, who I often quote, would say simply this, our job is to teach people to pray. Well, that seems like a simple thing. But Richard Rohr is not saying we should just sit here and pretend the world doesn't exist but actually have conscious attention to ourselves and the world. That's what he means when he brings action and contemplation together as one. And today, we ritualized it. One of the things we've missed during COVID, I think, is the ritual of coming together to hear you all sing together, but also to see us come to this font, this ritual, this place. When we come to this font, we are ritualizing through baptism, the answer to that question about what we're supposed to do with our life. It's about our private and public life. If you look at all the questions that came today, one of the key questions is, will you seek to live the ways of Jesus in your private and your public life? You know, your private life is what you do when, you, when no one else is home, what you do in your home. And it could be as simple as things like, we pause and see, we, we say grace. It could be teaching your children, or perhaps you know it, the prayers at night. That's your private life. But it's also moving out into the world to be in the public life. Baptism isn't a private affair, it's a public affair. And it's not just Holly's baptism today, or Danielle's, it's all of ours. That's why, in some ways, you have to feel and experience what it means to get a little bit, just a, just a touch of the water in this place. Because the baptism that you're part of isn't theirs. You're not sitting there crossing your arms watching theirs. You're remembering ours. And you're just remembering with a, just a little touch of water to remember that water is the gift of life, that you're loved, that you're forgiven and you're set free. And the water reminds you 
that this water that is so much a part of our life is the part of life that speaks us and connects us to the sacred. Now, the Catholic community would call this aspergus, not asparagus, aspergus. And they would do this at baptism. It's a beautiful ritual just to feel and to touch this water that's so important to you. And so at the baptism, we remember that this isn't just hollies, this is all of our baptism. And if you didn't get sprinkled and you want to be sprinkled, come after, I'm glad to sprinkle you. I say this not just in jest because it is so true. Because a baptism remains a public, a private event only. It's not baptism. It's public. And the question and statement that I asked of each one of you when we come to this table, I paused. Did you hear me? I said, will you continue to grow in your faith also? That's your responsibility, not mine. If you're five years old, you've got a five-year-old faith. If you're 55, you better have a 55-year-old person's faith. That means there's work and engagement and delight and learning and growing what you believe to question and challenge and search and discover what it means to grow in your faith through the highs and lows and mountains and valleys. What does it mean to be a person of faith as you grow and change and as life comes at you sometimes full force? Well, what does it mean? Let's just open up the Bible and newspaper. I don't know about you, but I saw lots this week about Lisa Laflamme in the CTV news. Anybody hear anything about that? <laughs> now the corporation sadly made a business decision. As the weeks unfold, we heard that the thing that really changed, the only thing that really changed was the color of her hair. The business decision that was made was based in many ways, women will say, on sexism and ageism. A full page advertisement yesterday in the Globe and Mail with people's names like Jan Arden, Jan Arden, Romeo Dallaire, all political parties were saying that the trust has been broken by this corporation and they have to be called out and forward to say, what will you do? Because we know corporations make mistakes, individuals make mistakes, but we're saying trust has been broken, what do we do? This is a response, a baptismal response to what has done. Similarly, in the paper yesterday, CBC, which is one of the things I love in my life, Carol Off wrote these words about this event. In this precarious area of fake news and phony facts, people need our profession to show courage. Journalism is at its best when it challenges authority, asks hard questions, and speaks truth to power. I say amen to that. But that's your job. Challenge authority, ask hard questions, and speak truth to power. That's living out our baptismal vow. I heard a new phrase this week. Who heard this phrase this week? Quiet quitting. Did you hear that one? I'm going to explore that some more. Quiet quitting. Quiet quitting is the fact that many people in their workplaces these days are saying, that's it, I'm only doing what's required of me. On the one hand, I want to say that's great, and I support it 100%. On the other hand, I say, well, where does the joy and the world's hunger meet? And sometimes we have to go beyond that. I don't have the answer, but quiet quitting is speaking about our workplaces that are so toxic and unhealthy right now that people are quitting and throwing in the towel, or people are wondering whether they could do one more day, one more week in these particular organizations. Did you know that 300,000 people retired this year saying that they worked in toxic workplaces? We have to reinvent our workplaces so that they're not toxic, not just tolerable, but that they're terrific. 
The Bible and the newspaper remind us that when we t- live and we walk out of this building, we will face with, and Holly will, and Danielle will, sexism, and ageism, and homophobia, and xenophobia, and racism, and all of these things that are isms are part of your baptismal response today when you witness this baptism to speak out publicly in your private and public life. That's why, that's why Andrea right now is at the Pride Parade. We're saying we step forward during Pride Week to walk with people as allies to support and encourage them. That's why when the scandals with Hockey Canada come forward, we have to step up and say it's wrong that this abuse happens, it's wrong that the decisions were made within that corporation to respond, and abuse should encourage people to speak out faithfully about what happened to them. Or just think of the war in Ukraine. It's so wonderful that this church and so many people have opened their doors and welcomed people from Ukraine, but there are many people from other parts of the world who are saying, what about us? Like the people in Congo or the women in Afghanistan. And it forces us to wonder whether there's injustice in our very refugee system that says we welcome some, but perhaps not others. And we have to look in the mirror and understand this. That's why climate change, it's not an issue we want to abandon, we want to jump in on. We want to say that in the first book of the Bible, that we're called to cultivate and take care of the earth. It couldn't be more clear that we should all, Jewish, Christian, every world religion, non-religion, step in and say we have one earth and we have one people to step forward to say these are the changes we need to make. You see, in all of what I'm trying to indicate with you that baptism is a private event but it also calls us and pushes us out into the public to be public. And that's why you sang that beautiful piece that I will sing again and again this week. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? That will reappear this week to you as a reminder. What am I supposed to do? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. But also, Jesus clearly says, when they say to him, what do we got to do? It's a summary. Jesus says, forget all the doctrine. Forget all the dogma. Forget all the commandments. When you feed the hungry, you feed me. When you give thirsty a drink, when I was naked and you clothed me, when I was a stranger and you welcomed me, you did it. You get an A plus when you do those very basic things. So when we say it's not your fault, we mean it. But we also say there is responsibility. And that responsibility is what we're called to. When I was writing this sermon, I texted a friend on this very topic and I said, what are we supposed to do? The reply came, I used to think it was be happy. And now, then I thought it was to find God. And I wait and it pops up now I think they're the same. There's wisdom here. Our call is to discover the God within ourselves, and it's from that place that we experience happiness. I replied, excellent, A+, thank you. And then he replied, remember, it's God first, happiness second. So I do believe this day that baptism ritualizes all we're trying to say and sing to remind us it's our baptism, whether baptized or not, that we have a responsibility to love God, love our neighbor, and love the world. 
And it's a responsibility that comes in the ritual of baptism to say, this isn't out of guilt or shame. You do this because God loves you, forgives you, and sets you free. And it's from that freedom that the joy comes and faith is lived. Thanks be to God for this font reminding us that we are loved, forgiven, and set free. And that is a responsibility I can't wait to live out. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.